Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Transgender Point of View is an Australian news and current affair panel talk show. Airing weekly and hosted by Joy 94.9. Transgender people come from every region around the world, racial and ethnic backgrounds and faith communities. Chances are that you've met a transgender person, even if you don't know it. But there are still many misconceptions about trans people. And as a transgender person, there are a lot of questions asked of us every day. What's this about using they as a pronoun? Isn't letting a trans person use my bathroom dangerous? Do I refer to you as he, she, it or they? So what's your real name? Are you a drag queen? What's the difference between sex and gender and why does it matter so much? Did you have the operation? What is stealth? How does someone know they are transgender? Really random questions. Are you sure you're not just super gay? You must be a transvestite. What bathroom do you use? Will I be able to have sex? What does cis mean? This is Transgender Point of View on Joy 94.9. Now, here's Michelle. Hi, Michelle here again from Trans Point of View. Uh, Now, today on my show, I've invited Emily Rowe back to uh, have some fun with us as well and and bring a friend along. Um, Now, Emily, would you like to introduce your friend for me on the phone? So my friend we're going to be talking today is Sage Luca, who's an amazing, incredible, fun, vivacious transgender woman who's 20 years old, who's recently made the change not just from the gender of male to female, but from the suburbs of Western Sydney to Melbourne. Now I'm going to say you sound a little bit biased there on on Sage, and uh, uh, (laughs) Sage is laughing in the background. Now bear with me, I've got uh, a bit of a cold today, so that's why I've brought him along to help me out. Now Sage, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming along. Now, Sage, you had um, now looking at some of the photos that I've seen on on the interwebs. Um, you seem to have fallen into that, that sort of category uh, where you've got trans going from sort of um, that stereotypical masculine to quite a stereotypical uh, expected female persona, but. The reason it caught my interest on this was because of the way the media have sort of portrayed and, and gone to town on this. Do, do you care to, to share a bit with me on that one? Yeah, um, I was approached by a lot of um, different media sort of sources in uh, Sydney when I was quite young. I think because I was the only one that was so extremely public in the area, it was sort of like, you know, um, I was just an easy target, I think. And I don't know, I think because someone was trying to actually take interest in my transition, which is something that I lacked in my local area. I kind of snatched up that sort of deal and yeah, it sort of played out the way it did. Okay. Now, how old are you now, Sage? Um, I am still 20. Still 20. Uh, so, um, so you actually, you know, you're a cute little boy there in some of the photos. Uh, <laughs> now I'm going through, so basically born, uh, born male or assigned male at birth and started transitioning about what time, what age did you start transitioning? Um, I started transitioning when I was 19, but probably started seeking help properly at about 18. Now, obviously there's a difference in sort of telling the stories with someone your age. You know, you're, you're 20, I'm 
turning 40. And so there's a bit of a different sort of path that we all would have followed. And so at your age, did you find you had more support from family and friends with your transition? Um, no. Okay. No, I can't say I have. <laughs> um, so how did you go about getting some help and assistance yourself when coming to dealing with transition at a younger age? I think it all started like, I actually didn't know if I was the only one experiencing this. Like I said, I, I didn't know it existed. So I did some Google searching and found that it, it's an actual thing. And uh, I went to my local GP actually, um, and I asked her for advice and she had no idea what I was talking about. She was like, I don't know what that is. Let me see if I can get you to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and see what they can do. And I've seen a few of those and a lot of those didn't actually know what transgender meant either. Um, but eventually uh, I found one that actually did some research and found um, quite a popular clinic in Sydney for me to go to. And I think it was sort of like, you know, I think that's where it all began. It's when I found like an actual LGBT clinic that, you know, catered for trans people. And this is based, and this was all going on while you were in Sydney? Yes. Okay. Because a, a lot of the articles and stuff I'd read mentioned Melbourne. So, um, so, so is there is there is there much support up there in Sydney as there is down here in Melbourne? Um, I would say, I would say it's more known in Melbourne, and I would say that the help is just about as equal. I think it just depends on sort of who you ask. I mean, this isn't something that a lot of people, even trans people, don't really like to talk about what clinics they go to. I remember when I first moved here to Melbourne, I was actually off hormones for a straight three months because I couldn't find a clinic. I couldn't find a single clinic that would help me. And yeah, it's, that's it, is, it thing, is hard. That's one thing I did find when I came out as well, that in order for me to actually find a place to go to, actually, it, I ended up getting a um, somebody giving me a card uh, out of the blue after a coffee meeting because I couldn't I couldn't find a place to actually go that I knew was actually supportive as well. Because you go to some GPs and they're like, Oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. So um, now, now things are okay with you and your mom now. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's she's quite a big supporter, and she is a bit of my backbone from where I'm from. So yeah, she's definitely progressed a lot. So obviously, you started your transition in Sydney, but then chose to move to Melbourne. Was there any particular reason for that? Um, I just I needed a fresh start. It's really hard to try and portray yourself as you know your authentic self when everybody around you for you know six seven suburbs across always knew you as you know the gay guy which is a really really hard image to shake especially in western sydney it was really difficult because i from the beginning i've always been so extremely open and flamboyant and i was the only one walking down the street with six inch heels around you know, big burly guys throwing beer bottles at me. So I definitely stuck out and I needed to kind of escape from that. And I just needed to go to a place where nobody knew that I was trans and see how I went. And I was I was extremely surprised to think that people actually didn't know that I was trans. I just thought I was, you know, a cisgendered woman, which really surprised me because every day in Western Sydney, I was definitely reminded that um, I was not. <laughs> it was really important for you to get away from somewhere that they knew you before to start afresh and new. Yes, yeah. Now, I've noticed, that, because obviously the media and stuff has gone crazy, talking about your um, uh, surgeries or, or non-surgeries or whatever. Uh, and obviously, myself, I'm, I'm, I always try to push and not talk about surgeries or whatever, but it's obviously mm -hmm. part of your narrative of, of why we're having this conversation. Um, 
So, but one thing I've noticed that you said on here is that you weren't interested in, in changing your uh, voice or doing a you know, vocalization surgery. Do you mind elaborating on that a bit further for me? Um, yeah, I think my voice, it's, when, when I think about my gender and what, you know, as far as dysphoria goes and what actually makes me feel uncomfortable was the image of myself when I stepped out of the shower. Um, my voice has never really bothered me. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't like listening to it back when I play it, but I think that's everyone. And But it's never actually conflicted with my gender. So during my transition, I've never really seen it as something that I should change um, because I wouldn't be changing it for me. I would be changing it to fit in with, I guess, what's expected of most trans people, especially young trans people. They're quite pressured into thinking that, well, if this is what you want to choose for the rest of your life, you, you know, you better be, you know, 100% passable. And I just don't stand for that. I'll change what I need to change to feel comfortable and everything else can stay the same as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and Sam, myself as well. Like I, um, I've always been a big advocate on, you know, whatever surgery you do, you do it for yourself, not so much for what society says. So like for me, I have no interest in doing vocalization surgeries or, I mean, I had to refall back in love with my voice. Cause like you said, you hear your voice back and you go, Ooh, I really just don't care much for my voice. And you know, I still have a masculine voice, but I really don't care. Um, and then, you know, things like lower surgery wasn't important for me. Um, but, but then I feel that society puts so much pressure on us as, especially as trans women that we have, that they say we have to go and have these surgeries. We have to have this done. We have to be more stereotypical that I've actually ran across so many trans women now back in the States who I, I, I talked to and they're like, Oh, well, I'm detransitioning because I can't get coverage or pay for my lower surgery. So there's no point in continuing. And um, now I'm going back because um, I'll never achieve what it is that um, I'll never be a, a, a full woman. And I and I just kind of stop and go, is that really as necessary in transition? Do you see yourself as just a focus on the few things for, as part of your dysphoria? Or do, or do you feel there's more that you want to change? Um, I think for me, I'm just going to focus on purely what is dysphoric. I, it, for me, I see it as pure relief of my dysphoria, nothing specifically to just change me. I kind of want to stay, you know, as much as before as possible, just without the dysphoria. Like I've never really wanted to change who I am. I've just wanted to improve my life. So I have, a, 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 I guess, a better quality of life. So um, my voice before never affected the way I felt about myself, but you know, um, my chest, for example, did. I, I didn't like um, when I would wear, because even as a boy, I would still wear female jeans and female tops and stuff and I just didn't like that I couldn't feel out the top or my hips weren't round enough for these jeans and hormones do quite a lot but there are some things that just isn't I guess um, expected on hormones like the hormones can only do so much so I, I do see myself having um, not as many procedures as I set out to do in the beginning because you know, I'm a year and a half on hormones now and my perspective of what needs to be changed and what doesn't is very different to week one on hormones. <laughs> yeah, we take it four years in, it's it's it's, it's totally different. With, um, now, when people go and make comments about, um, comments about, say, your appearance or how you look, you know, uh, you know look at comments going, oh, you know, um, a gorgeous girl or this and that, do, do, does it does it make you feel good hearing all the comments people making about your appearance or or do you see yourself as more than just your parents? Um, sometimes I do feel a little bit 
underestimated um, when people purely look on image because I mean at the end of the day it's just a photo on the internet you know anyone can look pretty on the internet but I think people are quite surprised when they meet me in real life and I'm quite I guess in my own way intellectual but quite comedic as well and people don't expect that they 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 just think that I'm a pretty trans girl that doesn't really have much else going on for her and I think that there's so much more to trans people than just their transition like we're still human beings at the end of the day and I think that as trans people we're a bit more complex than just our transitions and as far as you know photos go I, I really don't value my photos that much online I mean I enjoy posting online and keeping everyone up to date but um, you know M can definitely vouch for me in this I'm, I'm very disconnected when I'm at home I am very bad with uploading and stuff I just I don't know I don't feel like um, the internet is an accurate representation of oneself that's all and I've sort of gathered that throughout my transition because I do notice that people like underestimate people due to their photos. So in regards to the online space I know that that's somewhere you're still quite active though I know you've got a Facebook group with over 2,000 followers who watch your live videos uh, and I know that you're very interested in getting involved in doing YouTube makeup tutorials etc so how do you balance you know maintaining that online persona and trying to keep it as genuine as who you really are in your day-to-day life? Um, I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I have a lot of people come to me and say, you know, I, I, I get a bit surprised with how much of a following I get so quick when I do post things. Like, it does surprise me how many people do take interest. And I think it's because I do like to stay raw as possible. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure on trans people to always, you know, wear a lot of makeup and hair extensions and always present ultra, like, feminine or masculine, depending on, you know, male or female. And um, I think, I guess, the best way I can really put it is I try to sort of break that barrier and show that, you know, there are days that, you know, you just don't want all of that and you just want to sort of, like, you know... Not every girl walks around in six-inch heels and hair extensions every day. And that's, oh. I guess that's my aim in showing that trans women are no different. We are just everyday women. And I think that's why a lot of people do tune in because I think my audience is quite different to most trans people. My approach is to go more for the younger cisgendered population for my following. Like, I, a lot of my following is not LGBT at all. It's actually a lot of young cisgen, um, cisgendered people Um between the ages of 16 and 20 and I think that that's a good sort of age group to hit because they're going to be the people that we're going to be sharing the rest of the world with for so long and I think if I can educate them while you know they're still kind of open to it and I can show them that I am just an everyday person and I can connect with them on that more personal level they will see me as a real person and not as that trans girl that has to look a certain way and that's that's sort of my approach oh that pressure is definitely there and i see it i see it all the time if you were to go and speak to say some of the younger uh, trans uh teenagers whether they're trans male or trans female and obviously some of them as we've seen already are hiding their true selves and um you know some are beginning to uh, abuse drugs and alcohol uh, and struggling to come out to their parents what kind of advice would you give to any of them if they came to you for any kind of um, mentoring or anything like that, especially after going through a year of transition? 
Um, well, this is something I can definitely speak from, like personal experience. I've struggled with, you know, substance abuse in the past and being very much unsupported by my local community and even my own family members that, you know, think that, you know, they're going to love you unconditionally. I, I really come from a bit of a rough start to my transition and the only advice I can give to those people that are scared is one, you aren't alone. Stop thinking that you are doing this all on your own. You have to put it all on your own shoulders and you have to be so tough because there are other people and they, you'll see them in time and you will recognise that you know, you're not alone. So that's the first thing I would probably tell young people that are struggling is you're not alone. And the second thing is you've really, really got to, I guess, get out of the bubble that you've been living in for however many years and you've really got to take it by the horns and take charge like I, I can't stress that enough the amount of times that I waited and waited so many years that you know eventually my life will get better it'll get easier it doesn't I think you just have to I don't think there is any true right time to transition and if you keep that mindset in the back of your mind that it'll be easier for me to transition next year because of such and such it's a lie. It's, it's you subconsciously putting it off. I think the best thing you can do is just go for it, no matter. And, you know, be aware that, like, unfortunately, it's it's something that comes with transitioning. Yes, you might go through hardships. It, it's going to be difficult. You know, you're going to have to find clinics. You're going to have to find people that are encouraging. And you do need a support network. I can't stress that enough. Um, cisgendered, transgendered, it doesn't matter. You need a support network of people that do support you and love you. But ultimately, you're the answer to your own problems. And I think that's my main point that I would share with young people is the longer you put it off, the more you're going to be like me and regret that. I didn't do it when I was 16 because I wouldn't have to fork out so much money nowadays to pay for surgeries to reverse what puberty has done. So the young people, well, anyone actually thinking about transitioning, do it. Like, stop thinking about it and dreaming about it. You've really just got to do it for yourself because at the end of the day, People can sympathise with you, but they're not actually going to care because they don't know what it's like to have gender dysphoria. Even if they do, they still can't do it for you. So my main advice would be just just to do it no matter what kind of environment you're in. What about to the parents of these of these kids who are going through it? Um, I think I think it's quite instinctual. I think I guess there's no real way to tell whether or not you know it's if they actually know what they're doing but I think as any parent I guess your job is to support them and give them as much happiness as you can and I don't think that um, completely you know undermining their decision to transition is actually doing that I think it's doing the polar opposite and I come from a family that you know seen me go through so many phases you know because um, I, I, like I said, I didn't know what trans was. So I went through so many phases of coming out and identifying and, you know, showing myself in so many ways. And I actually remember the exact words that people said to me when I actually came out was, they were like, wait, you're, you're trans now, but last year you came out as gay and the year before you were bisexual. Like, does this mean what next year you're going to be an alien? Like, and that really... <laughs> It, yeah, it really stabbed me a little bit and I was like, you know what, you, you're right, I can see how this seems like, you know, I'm just going through phase after phase, but I mean, ultimately, I didn't really have any other way. I couldn't really sugarcoat who I was as a person, so I just, like, if I was born a boy, I guess I'm a dude because there's no way I can change that. That was my mindset because I didn't know that 
trans existed and I just knew that I was attracted to men and I guess that means I'm gay. I was I was never I guess lying. I it it, it is a path of self-discovery and I think it really is up to the parents to trust in the individual that they're doing what's right for them and if they do fall and it's not for them and just I guess be there to catch them like I think it's a no-brainer I think as a parent just be there for your child no matter what they're going through and I feel like I shouldn't really have to say that but if I do I've, I've said it there. <laughs> so as uh, so someone your age who's still sort of discovering where their path and where they're going where do you see yourself going from here? Honestly, I, I don't know. Um, I, it's I okay. Try to I, think I, of, I'm my age and I don't even know where I want to be when I grow up. So that's okay. I know. I know. I've, I've always had like goals and expectations of where I'm going to be in five years. And now that I'm a year and a half into my transition, I guess I still have that mentality that, you know, I've, I've still got a few things to tick off in my box. But I feel like after that, I'm, I'm not sure because I, I'm, I'm comfortable with the person I, I am for the first time in my entire life, you know? So it's it's a bit hard. I don't really know. Um, I guess I kind of envision just an average everyday life as a woman. But uh, just even saying that sounds so strange because I I've, I've had that mentality my whole life of trying to cover that. You know, I was going to try and get married as soon as I could, and you know, get my wife pregnant, and you know, do the whole <laughs> shebang. And now all of a sudden, I I have this. You know all these different you know different paths I can take because I'm a hundred percent authentic and open about my life and honestly it's it's right it's now kind of strange I'm like I don't know what to do I, I've got I don't have anything to cover up and this is me I don't really know how to approach it now yeah so you get the, the world's more opened up for you for the decisions and directions you want to go yeah yeah well, Sage, I really do thank you for coming on and sharing a bit of your story and, and, and who you are and, and giving some wisdom from, from the struggles you've been through. Um, Emily, thank you so much for coming on and joining me as well and, and talking to Sage. And um, uh, it, thank you to everyone else listening in, and we'll talk to you soon. And thank you for listening today. If you do want to reach out to us, you can get us on email transpov at joy.org.au. You can also get us on Facebook, which is transpov on joy. You can get us on Twitter, transpov, or you can just come to joy.org.au and just follow up what's going on here at Joy in general. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.